Let's turn together to Psalm chapter 90. I'll tell you how I, um, how I got to Psalm 90. Um, last Sunday, and, um, Kyle and Jackie Kirkpatrick were here with us. And uh, Kyle preached out of, out of Philippians 2. And he talked about all the Philippians 2 things about humility and Christ's example and that leading us to mission. It was so good. So good. And he had a word in there, a, little, a cautionary word about pride and how pride will take us down. And so I grabbed onto that and uh, was trying to think, just pray and think about what the next couple of Sundays are going to look like from a teaching standpoint. Um, so we had Kyle and Jackie last Sunday. Next Sunday, we'll have Tyler and Abby will be with us. Um, and Tyler will be preaching some kind of in between these like phenomenal like couples, these incredible missionary couples. And then after that, there's uh, Memorial Day weekend where we shift to one service. I don't know if you got the word about that, but we're going to one service. Uh, Philip and Sarah are very happy about that. Uh, going to one service for the summer, be at 1030. And then so there's two Sundays, there's Memorial Day and another Sunday of that. And then camp, Joe Bennett is preaching Camp Living Hope. And so he'll be here for that. So I was kind of trying to look at it. It's kind of a different kind of schedule and trying to map something out. But I was really honing in on that word on pride for today. And then yesterday, like nothing was really falling into place. And I don't know how many, I don't know if you guys preach very often. Maybe you do. I don't know. But uh, when it's like Saturday afternoon and it's not really like working for you yet, you're like, starts to get a little, a little weird. And so I was just frustrated because it just wasn't, just wasn't right. And I just felt like the Lord was like, yeah, that's because um, like that word on pride, like all the study you've done all week on that, that was like, that was for you. Maybe it'll be for the church later on. Maybe it's for, but it's not for this Sunday. I was like, that's great. That explains why I don't feel right. But I also know that it's like 4.30 on a Saturday. And uh, as they say, Sunday's coming. And so um, just began to pray about it. And God brought me here. And and I think I think there's good reason for it. And even after talking to some of the folks who are here at 8.30, I think, I think, it, I think it's timely. Um, so Psalm 90 written by Moses and from what all the smart theologian scholar folks have to say, they think that it was written like toward the end of the 40 year pilgrimage as the remnant was ready to go into the promised land. So kind of in that, in that window of time. So, uh, the story arc goes like this, hundreds of years, 400 years, I believe, enslaved in Egypt. Uh, God makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to, uh, like back in Genesis 12, that he's going to make them into a great nation. And that great nation had fallen into enslavement in Egypt. And so Moses goes in and says, let my people go. You know this, you know this song. Uh, they are uh, miraculously freed from slavery through a lot of just incredible things that God did. They get out into the desert and they begin to rebel against him. And uh, that whole generation who were adults, who came out of 
enslavement into the wilderness and rebelled against God through idolatry and just general faithlessness and pride and sin. Um, God said, you're not going to, you're not going to be the ones to go into the promised lands, uh, the promised land. You don't have the faith for it. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to leave you in the desert and let you guys grow old and die. And, uh, but your kids, they'll be the ones to come into the promised land. And so you got, uh, a whole generation, so for 40 years, all those adults got older and older and older, and just the conditions and all that kind of stuff, they began to pass away, and their kids uh, kids became teenagers and became young adults and probably got married and started to have kids of their own. And so it's at the point where most of, that, most of that sinful generation had died off, and now it was that younger, uh, like the ones who were actually going to take the land, now it's their turn. And it's at the point where that's getting close. So jump into their mindset for a second. You have uh, probably a million people. Um, all that they know is those who grew up as children in Egypt when they were enslaved. Uh, then they came out into this wilderness. They don't know how to do anything. And But the plan is to go into this land where other, other people live and like set up their own encampment. They were to go into this land and start building houses. And they don't know how to build houses. They're not builders. They're going to have to go in and figure out how to like irrigate crops. They don't know how to irrigate crops. They, they grew up in Egypt making bricks. You know? They don't know how to do any of those things that's going to be required, much less the fact that there are people living in different spots. And this was, like a, this was primitive, man. Like someone comes on your land, you fight them. And so it was going to require them becoming warriors. They were not warriors. They were brick makers. And even that, they were kids. Some of them weren't even born yet. And so here they are, growing up. They know the sins of their parents. They know their heritage. They know the promises. But they also know, we got to go across this river, start building houses, irrigating lands, planting crops, and fighting, and we don't know how to do any of those things. And it seems like, just like you and I would be, they're a little edgy about that, a little uncertain about that. And so Moses writes this psalm, and it's a, it's a psalm of, it's a lament psalm, which is, it's, it's the, that prayer of like when you're like protesting something, when you are, um, you're telling God exactly how you are feeling about something, especially the injustice in the world and that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's the, it's the prayers that you prayed like on nine eleven, like those kind of things. And uh, so Moses writes a song, and that's the theme. But it's you, you notice as we read it, it's not, it's not Moses saying this to the Lord. It, it's a, it's a community song. It's an us thing. So it almost seems as if Moses wrote this for the entire people to sing as a prayer together to say this. Our life has been so hard. And you are calling us to do things ahead that are also hard. And we don't know if we have what it takes to keep going. So Moses is like, hey, let's put those feelings into words into melody, 
And let's begin to sing this together as a way of realigning hearts and minds with what's true. That is what seems to be going on here. And here's where I think that connects to you and me today, is that uh, life is still really hard. It's not the same kind of hard as it was for them. But if we pay attention to what's happening in the world around us, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of good stuff. And I told the first service too many times. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna apologize as much for this. But I don't want this to be like a bummer of a sermon, you know? Could we just sing like really like strong songs, like like just of being like confident in who God is and what He's done? And that's absolutely true. And this is a time of year where we're celebrating stuff like graduations and school coming to an end and summer is coming by. And I told the first service, all you crazy people who love hot weather are super stoked right now. It's already in the nineties for some reason. Um, and so like, there's all this really, there's just really great stuff happening. Yes. But I think that sometimes churches can err on the side of like, just being really like positive, encouraging K love, you know, a lot and, and not, uh, Maybe not. Maybe a little slower to recognize. Like, hey, there's also a lot of pain in our world. I mean, we've been watching a war on, like, unfold on our television sets and uh, on our computers and on our phones. Uh, we've never done that before. We've had to watch it happen. Um, there's this this like global economic weirdness that's going on right now. And you get into America, and there's inflation and there's no baby formula apparently that's the thing now and gas is you know outrageous and um people are trying to figure out like how how are we going to make it you know and where where's the end in sight for some of that stuff uh it's obviously been been a tense you know week or so in terms of like roe versus wade and um it's kind of bringing out for in my opinion it's kind of bringing out the worst in people, like on all on all sides of it, you know, like we've seen some really, some we've seen some people handle it really well, of course. But at times, I'm just like, golly, like could we be more cruel to each other? Could we be more uh, whatever? You know, that's been that's been hard this week. Yesterday in Buffalo, uh, God drives hours and hours and hours to go shoot up a grocery store, uh, driven by his own like racist agenda. You know, like. There's just stuff, man. And then you draw down even closer. Um, you look around, look around your life. Look at the people that you're like doing life with, and all the people that you know who are going through really painful things. Uh, people wrestling with uh, marriage issues and friendship issues and health issues and money issues. Um, People come into terms with some of their own like background, come in terms with abuse that they've experienced, and just all the like emotional woundedness that we carry with us. And some people, for the first time, like 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 speaking, like, "Hey, this happened to me when I was little." That kind of stuff, like just pain, you know. Um, and that's not even to get you go down even further. Go into the very personal things that have not even been spoken of yet. The things that we as individuals can bottle up and like not tell a soul about, but you still, you still carry it, you still feel it. You know? So whether we're talking about global things or down to the most personal, um, life is hard, and I don't know that we're too unlike the uh, people singing this song. 
We have been through a lot. We're going through a lot. And what is ahead of us is a lot. Like it's daunting. It's even just the fact that it's unknown, you know. And so perhaps like their community lament, maybe we find ourselves in the psalm, I guess. And so I just want to go through this for a couple of minutes, if that's okay. Let's start at the beginning. That was the longest sermon intro of all time, by the way. Let's get to the text. We're going to go just a you know, verse or two at a time, nice and slow. Um, one and two, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, if you got a, if you got a congregation of people who are in distress, and you write a song for them to realign their hearts and their minds with truth, it's a pretty good place to start, right? Like very Jesus-like. Like when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to start with who is God. Our Father, where is he? In heaven. You see, them, heaven, like their understanding of heaven was not like ours. Like ours is driven by like art and literature and like things like that. Of Like heaven's like way up there and we're way down here. But the Jewish, like first century Jewish understanding of heaven was that heaven and earth were like interconnected. Like there's like a, like a veil between, like we can't see into into heaven, that kind of thing, but heaven is like with us, that God is with us. So our Father in heaven doesn't mean our Father who's way up there. Our fa- it means our Father who is closer than we can even realize. How, hallowed, holy be your name. Holy is your name. So Jesus was like, hey, if you're going to pray, you need to start off like, who is God and where is God? Start there. That's what Moses does as well. Says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. What's a, what's a dwelling place? It's it's it is like exactly what you think it is. Like we have lived in you for generations. You have been our shelter for generations. We have been abiding in you for generations. When you think about what, what Moses is talking about. Gener- that's going back to the even the like sinful generation that wandered in the desert, even the previous generations who were enslaved in Egypt, he's saying, God, you have always been our shelter, even in the hardest of times. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or you'd inform the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's, saying, he's bringing up this, like the infinite nature of God. That we, if we think of time on a timeline, like a lot of us do, uh, he's like, you go infinitely in this direction and infinitely in this direction, and God was is there the whole time. He's he's bringing up these like uh, it's what theologians call the incommunicable attributes of God, meaning that God doesn't share those with us. Like we're made in His image, and so His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, like all of those. The, all the fruit of the Spirit, like he shares that with us, but there are things that are just for him. So he doesn't share his omniscience with us, his like, his like I know everything-ness. That's just for him. There are some things that are just for him because he is holy, he is other. We're created in his image, but we're not him. 
So Moses starts off with this saying, our dwelling place, our shelter for generations has been the infinite, eternal, limitless God, all-powerful, all-knowing, always good, holy love. That's who he is. That's how you want to start your song. That's how you want to start off the times when you're like, I don't know if I have what it takes to keep going. So that's where he begins. In verse 3, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. Okay, now, songs are just poems set to music. And so sometimes poems are like, what does that even, what does that even mean? Um, he starts off when he says in verse 3 in this section, you return man to dust. And what is that, what is that referencing? Um, he created Adam out of the dirt, came from the dirt, and then we return to the dirt when we die. What this section is, like the umbrella idea, is that uh, we just talked about God being eternal and limitless where we, we are created. We have a starting point. He is uncreated with no starting point, no ending point. We are created. We have an actual starting point. So Moses is like leading the congregation to acknowledge we are in his image, but he, we are not like him in this way. Uh, he's bringing in the humility that we need to recognize he is God, I'm not God. He is in charge. We, we are not in charge, that kind of thing. And so all the talk about time and being swept away and grass withering and all this kind of stuff, he's, he's using a, this poetic language, which I'm, for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of move on from it. But he's using this poetic language to say, hey, our time here is limited. God's time is unlimited, but our time here is limited. And you know, there are, there are two ways to take that. There are some people who take that as like, well, life is short. I guess I'll do whatever I want. Nothing, nothing really matters anyway. You just do whatever makes you happy, and that's fine, because life's short. Or, life is short. I better make every bit of it count. That's the sense that Moses is using here. The world around us kind of maybe has different attitudes on stuff, but he's saying, hey, you're only here for a limited amount of time. What are you, you going to do with it? Even to their community at the time of being like, hey, this is God's time for you. Like, God chose you to live at this time. You're the chosen ones to go into the promised land and take it. Life is short. Let's make the most of it in lining up with what God has for us. And so the first few lines are kind of like, let's, hey, let's separate. Uh, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. So you got a whole community singing that together, and their and they're, they're scattered emotions and thoughts and all that kind of stuff are coming together with truth and getting into order. And so the order is being lined up. Now, 7 and 8, it's a little, it's a little darker. 
It says, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. This seems to be a reference to the sins of those previous generations, that, that rebellion, that idolatry, that like we know better than you. Why did you leave us out here to die? We don't have any water. We don't have at least in at least in Egypt when we were enslaved. At least we had pots of meat, you know, to gather around. Those kinds of things. Let's put all our metal together and let's form a cow uh, statue thing that we can worship and pray because God has left us. All that. And so a part of the lament is acknowledging, hey, uh, our sin got us in this situation. Like. He says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. It's saying, hey, God, we know that you know what happened, that nothing has been swept under the rug, nothing has been kept secret. Everything is out in the open here. And I feel like there's relatability there because there are some of those, when I go through the list of like from global to the most personal, you know, some of those things you had no role in. I had no role in, not a direct role, right? Like, Russia's not invading Ukraine because of something that you did or said. Um, But there are pains and anxieties and situations that we carry that are like a direct result of decisions that we have made sometimes, you know? Like, that's just like a thing. Like, our sin has brought pain into our own lives, I think that's such an important part of of like of lament in general is just recognizing like like if you if we played a role in it let's let's say it let's acknowledge it God you know it we know it our sin got us here and really all those things from the global to the most personal every one of them finds its rootedness in the sinfulness of man that's why we have war that's why we have uh, Mass shootings. That's why. That's why we have all these things. It all comes down to the same cause, and so the community is lamenting and saying, "We we acknowledge that, like we we contributed to this." And in some ways, that makes you fearful about what the future holds, because you're like, "Man, I've I've been kind of a mess up to this point, and now you want me to do greater things? I can't even get my own act together. How am I supposed to do that?" Such a goodness. And Moses saying, hey, hear the song. Not that this really happened. But hear the song lyrics and you're reading it. You're like, ooh. And he's like, no, it's, it's good for us to acknowledge this. It's good for us to recognize our role in things, how our sin has contributed to it. He expands on that a little bit. Look at verse 9. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone, we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and the wrath and of your wrath according to the fear of you? Okay, so I said this to the early service as well. Uh, Moses dabbles in the like anger, wrath language, maybe a little bit more than like we would. And it's not, you know, it's not, it's not anger like we experience from authority figures who just lose it on us, that kind of thing. That God is 
anti-sin because sin is bad for his kids. Just like every parent in the room is against anything that's going to be harmful to your child. And so that anger, that wrath, it's, it's, it's wanting to put down anything that's going to threaten your kids. And Moses, from his perspective, he has seen God rise to the defense of his own so many times. And even the sinfulness of rebellion, in part, that's like the offense of sinning against a holy God, but it's also him being like, what are you doing? Why are you destroying yourselves like this? But when he says this line, talks about us living to 70 or 80, you know, that kind of thing. But he says that the span of life is but toil and trouble. It's like, yeah, I, I feel that. Not at all saying that life is terrible and the glass is half empty and that kind of thing. But just be like, no, like, let's just be honest. Like, life is hard. We walk through death and grief. We walk through cancer and uh, all kinds of heart disease and all kinds of sicknesses that are there. We, we walk through just so much pain, some by our own doing, some of the stuff that happened to you that you had no control over. There's, it's just full of that. But overall, to this point in the song, it seems like Moses is like, kind of like combining these ideas of like God is really, really massive, And yet for generations, we have chosen sin and the fleeting pleasures that it brings. And that has distracted us from what God is doing in our midst. So let's just acknowledge it. Let's acknowledge life is really, really hard, but but God is greater. He is higher. He's with us and he cares And in light of all that stuff, look at verse 12. This is his request. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It doesn't seem like that would be the direction that you would go, right? You think it would be like God is huge and massive and, and awesome and we are finite created beings and we have messed some things up, but we got a big calling ahead of us. You'd think the, the request would be like, strengthen us, rescue us, empower us, return to us, restore us, you know, something like that. Instead, Moses is like, all right, let's, let's, let's sing the chorus together. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And that's not number our days, like tell us how many days we have left to live kind of thing. It's like some translations would say it, teach us to order our days. Teach us to structure our days. Teach us like how, help us navigate the things that we're going through because we only know how to mess it up. Look at our history. We only know how to bring uh, destruction and pain and death into things. You, who are infinite and holy and good, you know how to bring healing and peace and goodness and love to the table. Would you teach us how to order our days that we may have wise hearts that do the same as you do? You think about this people group of like, we don't know how to build houses. We don't know how to irrigate fields. We don't know how to plant crops. We don't know how to raise kids. We don't know how to do anything except dwell in a desert. We definitely don't know how to fight. 
whatever it takes across that river, we, we need you to teach us how to order our days because we have no wisdom to bring to the table except what the world has taught us. We need your help. I just want to like pull that into my life, into our lives of, Lord, just teach us how to do this. Teach us how to process what we've been through and what we're going through, but like help us to not be paralyzed by it so that we never, ever have the faith to follow you into the unknown that's ahead of us. Teach us to order our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Think about what, our, what we fill our days with. So easy to fill our days with tasks and a lot of good things, you know, that kind of stuff. It's also easy to waste a lot of time. So this simple prayer, teach me to number my days. Teach us to number our days. In verse 13, this is, this is when he gets to where I thought he was going the first time. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Now, he, here he is calling on the, the God that he knows, writing a song with God's help, I'm sure, to have the community singing to the Lord return. It says, have pity on us. So we, that word pity, I don't like that. Like to me, I think one thing, that word also means compassion. Have compassion on us. Have mercy on us. Meet us in our distress. But look at 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. That's confidence in the character of God right there. That's Moses, the songwriter, being like, what, are, what, are these, what is this generation, like what words do they need to start singing? What prayers do they need to sing together? What do they need to start like reminding each other of about what is true? We've talked about God being eternal and infinite. We've talked about our own role in things and how hard things have been. Uh, we've asked him for a heart of wisdom. And now, like, let's just, let's just sing, let's sing the bridge over and over and over. Let's ask for that steadfast love that we know. Moses is like, I've, I've tasted and seen, but some of these, maybe they haven't. But let's get them to ask for it. They've heard about it. They've heard the stories. Let's start to ask for it. Let's start to sing for it. Let's start to say, we're, we're confident in your character, God. We are secure as your sons and as your daughters. We're singing by faith and not by sight or feeling or circumstance. We, um, we're going to express this truth to you because we know who you are. We know that you have not quit on us. A great lyric from great hymn, strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. That's, that's the sentiment here. And I don't know if that sentiment connects with where you are, things 
that you are carrying, burdens that you are just struggling with. But you know, he loves you. He's ready to lead you through it. Part of this lament is is the community recognizing like God, nothing we've been through is lost on him. At no point was he like distracted or taking care of something else or whatever. He's been with us and will be with us. Even in the worst of things that we bring to the table, even in the unknown that is lies ahead of us, even in the terrible things, toil and trouble that we are wrestling with. Maybe you find yourself in the psalm somewhere. Maybe this was written for us as well, you know. So look at 16 and 17 as I close. Let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Some pretty powerful things right there. Look at 16 again. Let your work be shown to your servants. I, I, I think a part of what he's saying is, um, will you show us and remind us that you are active here? Like, show us your work. Like, let us... Let us see your activity among us. Few things in all of life are more encouraging than to recognize like, oh, God just did that. God's moving in our our midst. God's like active in this place. He's active in my life. He's active in my friend, in my friend's marriage. He's active in my community group. He's active, he's active, he's active. Like, hey, Lord, help us to like lift up our eyes. Like, help us to get like from our heads being buried in our to-do list, in our agendas, in our busyness. Help us to look up and recognize, like, He is doing stuff everywhere, even in the hardest things of life. Let your work be shown to your servants. And then He says, and your glorious power to their children. Look, your kids right now are learning how to process a crazy world by watching you process a crazy world and by watching us, as the people of God, process through a crazy world. They're learning it. They're watching. They're listening. You know You know that they are. That's how they will know what to do. You jump into this psalm for a second. You got a whole generation whose parents didn't teach them how to do all that stuff. They didn't disciple them. They didn't whatever. Your kids have an advantage over them. Some of you are the same way. You're like, my parents didn't teach me. My parents didn't disciple me and all that kind of stuff. Well, okay. God, God still hooked you up though. Let's talk about your kids. Are we surrounding them with everything that they need? I hope so. I hope that's happening in the home. And we're doing everything we can as a church to make that happen. We got a whole week of camp coming up for all our elementary kids, and we're just going to like invest deeply in them the whole time. By the way, men, we need more of you to sign up for that. We'll talk about that later. Um, that's where like they're learning what it means to be a part of an unshakable kingdom. 
And so that's part of the prayer. Let your work be shown to your servants. Help us see it. And your glorious power to our kids. Let them see it. 17, let the favor of our of the Lord God be upon us. Like, help us to know that when he looks at us, his face is smiling. When you think about God, I don't know if you think of him as having a face. That might be a whole other, other sermon. But if he has a face, do you think that his face is smiling at you all the time? Or do you think he looks disappointed, frustrated, mad, indifferent, whatever? That'd be a fantastic community group exercise. Is like go to the emoji faces on your phone and find the one that you think God is making at you right now. But the correct answer would be joy, smile, all of it. Even even in our worst moments, he doesn't go to angry face. He he in Mark seven when Jesus encounters the 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 deaf man, says right before he heals him, he groans. I don't know what a grown face looks like. But God groans over our sin because it's hurting us. But his joy, like may we know that. What an encouragement for them to sing it. What an encouragement for us as well. Then he says, establish the work of our hands upon us. He says it twice. It's like a tag on the end of the line. Establish the work of our hands. And I think that's to mean like, hey, you got this whole community of people that's like, look, we could sit here on this side of the river and be afraid and like sit in, our, in all of our wounds and all our baggage and that kind of stuff and never, ever, ever take one step of faith toward that river. Or we can trust that as we work through all of those things, God's going to guide us and empower us and strengthen us. That there's a mission that he's called us to and we cannot waste our time because life is short. It is full of toil and full of trouble, yes, Everyone that we meet is encountering it, but does everyone know that the hope of resurrection is available to us? If they don't, guess who gets to take it to them? We do. It's amazing. So yeah, establish the work of our hands. Let us see you at work. Let our kids see you at work. May we know that your joy is upon us. And and as we say yes to the mission, and as we continue it forward, even though life is crazy... Will you establish the work of our hands? Would you do something incredible with these like pathetic efforts of ours? It's a powerful song to sing. A prayer to pray. And maybe you have found yourself in it somewhere. Um, I hope that you have. I think that's a part of why he gives us the scriptures. And even though some parts are easier to understand than others, when it all comes together, you're like, man, that... That's what I needed to hear. I needed to be reminded who he is and where he is and who I am and where I am. And we needed to be reminded that our arms are interlocked. We're a bunch of branches connected to the same vine, and we're on mission to bring that fruitfulness to the world. And so drag all that and apply it into the burden that you are carrying, the anxieties, the difficulties that you have. And so this morning, we'll do what we always do. I think when the word goes out, whether that's through song or preaching, whatever it may be, then it becomes a stewardship issue of like, okay, now it's yours to do something with it. And um, rather than just dismiss, we like to take a few, let's just take a few minutes, you know. And so it could be that for you today, especially like if you're going through something difficult or on behalf of someone else who is, like maybe receiving communion for you is what 
It's like a tangible thing that you can like take into your body. Reminding you that and this is what they'll say if you come up and receive it. The body of Christ was broken for you. Take it. The blood of Christ was poured out for you. Take it. Like Take in the fact that all the grace that you need to keep going is found in him. And that he is the one inviting you to the table. So if, for you, if that is a, like a helpful, obedient step, that will be over here on this side. And you can come at any point when you're ready. You can pray where you are. You can come kneel and pray down here. We're going to sing some songs that are very like uh, the opening part of this psalm oriented, very much like who is God. That's really where all this comes from. That's where all of our humility comes from is just recognizing who, who he is and where he is. And we're going to sing songs just about that and let that trickle into our lives. Um, so let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. We'll sing a little bit. And then if there's anything that you want to talk about or pray about and you want to hang around afterwards, uh, I'll be right here waiting. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, I'm grateful for this psalm and grateful for how you and Moses got together and wrote it. I can't imagine what it was like to have like a million people singing those words and melodies what it was like for the little kids to hear it, to watch their moms and dads sing it, even, even in the midst of being nervous and afraid about what it was ahead and what they've been through. And I love the way things like music and spoken uh, and sung prayers like that can just kind of get our hearts lined up. But our main thing is being lined up with what is true and real. And so, so thankful, God, that... Um, in the midst of the toil and trouble of life, you are still you. Like at no point has your character changed. At no point um, have you stopped being all the things that you say you are. And even in our worst moments and when we bring just such pain to the table of our own doing, um, I'm thankful that your response is, a, is to groan, but then to joyfully like lead us through it. Um, so I pray in the next few moments as we sing and pray and uh, receive communion, just whatever, whatever fits, that our responses in spirit and in truth would be honoring to you and it would be something that's nourishing to us that you would realign our hearts and minds and take our scattered emotions and thoughts and circumstances and just bring them right into line with what is true and real. We love you. We thank you. We pray this all in your name. Amen.